Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, good morning. We are starting a brand new series called Final Moments, like Pastor Ron said. Uh, we're gonna be looking over the next two to three weeks. We're gonna be looking at the last moments, final sayings of Jesus as we head towards Easter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. That's where we're gonna start this morning, John chapter 14. Uh, before we get into the message, uh, we just finished uh, a six-week campaign, and, and our students have been a part of that as well. I know that many of you don't get to come on a Wednesday night or, or see kind of what happens. So I wanted to show just a, a, a small kind of glimpse of what's going on in our small groups. We had um, student-led small groups. We have adult-led small groups. And some of these small groups are about 70 to 100 kids. I thought, that's not a small group. That's like a youth group right there. Um, but it's just been a blast being able to go through this content together as students and, and, and our young adults and, and just to be able to grow. We've seen lots of salvations, many students stepping out on their campus, inviting their friends to come. This place is packed out on Wednesday night, so let's give a hand to all of our young adult, all of our youth leaders, because they help create just great environments for our young people to get involved in. So, like I said, we're starting this series, Final Moments, and as I was thinking about uh, you know, Jesus' final moments, it, it took me back uh, to a few years ago whenever I got a phone call from, from my mom and, and her father, my grandfather, she, she called me and she said, you know, we, we really feel like he's probably not gonna make it through the weekend. Um, you know, I just kinda wanted to let you know. Um, if you can come home, that would be great. I was like, absolutely. I dropped what I was doing and, and I flew home and I got there and, and uh, just what happened over those next couple days in my grandfather's final moments really, really marked me. As I got there, um, hospice was there and, and he, was, he was in one of the bedrooms and uh, you know, in, in, in a medical bed and he was, he was there. He wasn't really coherent, but he was breathing on his own and, and they said, you know, he can hear. And so our whole family gathered together and it was just, it, it, the emotions were, were kind of up and down. We would laugh and we would tell stories and we talked about his childhood, we talked about his work ethic, we talked about his legacy. Um, and so my mom and her, her brothers and sisters, my aunts and uncles were there, some cousins were there. And I got to uh, read uh, you know, the scripture over my grandfather for, for the fa uh, last two days and I was actually standing right next to him. I was actually praying for him when he took his last breath. And, and as I would just think about those moments, they, they really marked me. And I, 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 I'm gonna carry those things for the rest of my life. And when we come to Jesus and we come to his final moments, they marked his disciples. And I was thinking just, you know, it'd be fun just to research maybe some famous people and see what maybe their last words, their final words and their final moments were. And so I got a few pictures I wanna show. The first one is a guy you might recognize from Little House on the Prairie. Now, how many of you used to watch Little House on the Prairie? So many of you did. I, I was before my time, but I did watch the reruns. Uh, but I did watch Highway to Heaven, and uh, that was a cool TV show as well. But Michael Landon, and uh, so Michael Landon was, was at his home with his family in his final moments, and, and, and his son was there, and his son, you know, said, Dad, it, it, it's time to go, you, you, you need to go, it's okay to go. And, and Michael's final words were, you're right, it's time, I love you all. And he passed away with his family surrounded uh, him on, uh, by his bedside. And I was thinking about, 
you know, a man's man, you know. I was thinking about John Wayne, and John Wayne was just this, this awesome guy. No matter how old you are, you, you, you just, something is, you're drawn to him in his movies and stuff, and, and he died at 72 years old in Los Angeles, California, and at the time, you know, his wife didn't know if she could really, uh, he could recognize her, and so he, she comes into the room one day, and he's there, he's lying in the bed, and, and she says, uh, John, do, do, do you know who I am? And he says, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. And all the ladies said, aww. <laughs> I thought this one, I don't have a picture, but I thought this was interesting, I thought it was funny. It was a guy named Charles Gusman, and, and, and he wrote the original TV pilot for Days of Our Lives, that thing that many people used to be addicted to back in the day called soap operas. I was more of a young and restless and kind of general hospital kind of guy, but we're not gonna get into that, but uh, he wrote the original pilot, and he'd always said that he wanted his final words to be memorable, and so, on, on his deathbed, his, his daughter was there with him, and he, uh, she leans over and she, she says, Dad, what, what is it that you're gonna say? You always wanted to say something memorable, and he takes his oxygen mask off, and he says, and now from a final word from our sponsors. <laughs> I thought that's pretty funny. I'm sure Jesus had some more profound things to say in his final moments, and John chapter 14 through 17 is known as the farewell discourse. It's really, it's one conversation. It actually starts in chapter 13 at the Passover meal in the upper room. But it's one continual conversation that happens in one night. And I know when we read the Bible, the Bible is broken up into verses and chapters. And so we can forget sometimes that, that this is a, a conversation that's going on. This is actually the fourth discourse that's happening. The first discourse is uh, on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so when Jesus gives that sermon, that, that's the first discourse. The second one is, is with the kingdom parables. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. And all those parables are, are a discourse. It's one continual conversation. And the third discourse, or a discourse is the Olivet Discourse. And that's where Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. And so all of those discourses are public discourses. It's Jesus' public ministry. He's reaching the masses. He's ministering to people. But this is quite different. Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, is over at this point. He's no longer going out and, and, and preaching or healing. He takes his closest friends, he takes his disciples, and he brings them to an intimate setting. They're gonna come together in the upper room and they're gonna partake of the Passover meal. And we often think the Passover is just communion, but it's really a several hour meal. It's a process, it's a, it's a celebration of coming out of slavery from Egypt and into freedom. And so Jesus, in those final moments, is gonna say some pretty profound things to his disciples. He's gonna, he's gonna say some, some things that we're gonna talk about, but he's also gonna drop some, some bombs on them. Like he's gonna, he's gonna bring some things into the conversation that are really gonna shake the disciples to their core. In chapter 13, Jesus basically says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He's talking about the cross. He says, guys, I'm about to go somewhere that, that you can't come where I'm going. And then he looks at his friends and he says, one of you will betray me. One of you will, this very night, will turn his back on me and betray me. And they're sitting there going, how, how, how in the world is, is that possible? It's, it's not me. I would never do that. And then Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says, Simon, he says, before the rooster crows, you will have denied that you even know me three times 
this night. And so in this moment, they're worried and they're, they're anxious and they're, they're, they're disheartened and it's like, like they're unsettled and, and it's with that in mind that we come to John chapter 14. And we're gonna look at three statements in this chapter that Jesus makes to his disciples and we're gonna learn how they apply to our lives. The first one, if you have your notes, I want you to write this in. The first one is Jesus basically tells them to trust in me. In John chapter 14, verse one, he starts off and he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus starts off this conversation. After he's dropped some, some disheartening news, I'm going to a place that you can't come, one of you are gonna betray me, and you're gonna deny me three times. See, Jesus knew that difficult waters were ahead of his disciples. He knew that they would be persecuted. He knew that they were uh, gonna be confused. He knew uh, Simon Peter was gonna fall. He knew all these things were gonna happen, and he tells them right here, let not your hearts be troubled. It's actually a command. And if you want to give a, 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 maybe a most accurate or literal translation, Jesus is really telling his disciples, stop stressing out. Or it's like my mom would say, get a grip. They're worried, they're stressed, they're anxious, and Jesus sees it and he says, guys, I know this is difficult, but you need to take a chill pill, you need to stop stressing out, you need to, you need to just relax. And I've, I, I thought about this and I'm like, how, whenever we get bad news, and especially them in their position, how does, how does Jesus expect them to fulfill this command? Because Jesus would never give them or you and I a command that we could never keep. So how do we keep this command in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of being anxious, in the midst of being discouraged, to not be afraid, to not be disheartened? Well, he tells us right there in the second half of that verse. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Other translations that you might have may say, you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus was basically telling his disciples, I know this is difficult news. I know you're disheartened. I know you're stressed out. I know you're anxious, but I want you to look at me and I want you to trust in me. You trust God, now trust me. Up until this point, they, they've had no reason not to trust Jesus. I mean, Jesus was with them for three and a half years. They saw all the miracles that he had performed. They, they heard his words. They had no reason not to trust Jesus. But how do you and I, whenever we face difficult moments, how do we stand and how do we trust even though we get difficult news? Well, I think it's three simple ways. I think number one, it's because of who you know. See, if you've given your life to Jesus and, and you've surrendered your life to him, you know that he will never fail you. You know that he's trustworthy. You know that he'll always be there with you and the disciples were right there and Jesus is saying, listen, because you know me, because I've never let you down, that's why I'm telling you, don't stress out, just focus on me. The second way that you and I can keep this command is because of 
where you'll go. The Bible speaks of heaven often. In fact, it's 532 times in the scriptures the Bible mentions heaven. Now, in this moment, he's telling them, I'm, I'm going to my, he calls it my father's house. He speaks about heaven relationally, not just locationally. He's talking about, listen, this is, this is about a relationship. He's, I'm going to my father, to his house. And in his house are many rooms. And which leads me to the, to the third way that you and I is because of what he'll show. So it's because of who you know, because of where you'll go, and because of what he'll show. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He's telling his disciples, listen, this is difficult, but you need to stop stressing out. You need to trust in me. He says, I'm going to my father's house and I'm preparing a place for you. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, going one moment through life and, and everything's great and then all of a sudden just chaos just hits your world. A few years ago, my wife and I, we were going on a trip and we had our, our whole family with us and we were driving down the highway and everything's great and, you know, kids are, you know, some of them are sleeping, some of them are just kind of, you know, they're on their phones like they do and, and we're just talking and all of a sudden out of nowhere, chaos erupts inside the car. My youngest daughter, she sits up and she starts screaming at the top of my lungs, help me, help me, call the ambulance, I'm gonna die. Now that's not some news you wanna hear while you're driving down the highway. And I'm like, what's going on? The seatbelt had gotten, she got entangled up in it somehow. And so like, she's like, call an ambulance, call an ambulance. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, what? So I pull over, I jump out, and then the kids kind of pour out the car, and they're like, she's gonna die, she's gonna die. And Betsy's like, what do we do? And I'm like, I'm trying to pull the seatbelt off of her, but it's like a boa constrictor. And every time I try to move it, it gets tighter and tighter, and she is losing her mind at this moment. And I was like, I was like, I have no knife, I can't cut this out, people are zooming by me. I picture in my mind the ambulance showing up and then trying to explain to them what's going on. I'm thinking, this is not a good situation. So I stop and I'm just like, Jesus, I need you to help me right now. And so I stopped and I just was like looking at her, looking at the seatbelt going, what do I do, God? And all of a sudden a moment of clarity came and I said, Betsy, grab her feet. She said, grab her feet. I said, grab her feet. I grabbed her head and she did a front flip. We flipped her. She came right up out of the seatbelt. And we went from one moment to being just like in chaos to just busting out laughing. Like how in the world does that happen? So my advice to my younger daughter was you can no longer lay down with the seatbelt on. You have to sleep sitting up. But sometimes in life, we're going uh, you know, through life peacefully and everything's good, the kids are good, the, our marriage is good, our finances are good, everything at home is good, our job's good, and all of a sudden chaos, boom, it just hits our world. And it's in that moment that we can learn from what Jesus said in his final moments that you and I can have peace, that we can trust God in the midst of chaos. How do we do that? Well, it starts by putting our focus on the right thing. Whatever you focus on, you become full of. And that's why I believe David in the Psalms, he says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. Whatever you and I focus on, if you're focused on that financial lack, 
If you're focused on that situation with and your kid or your son, your, your daughter or your husband or whatever the situation is, and if you don't put your eyes on your, on your hope, which is Jesus, your helper, you're going to be discouraged. Now, that doesn't mean we dismiss the situation, but whatever you focus on, you become full of. See, trusting in Jesus is not passive. Trusting in, in Jesus or having faith in Jesus is being active. So in those moments, whenever difficult situations arise, it's important that you understand that you stand on God's word. You find some promises in the scripture and you say, you know what, that promise is for me. I'm gonna stand on that promise, I'm gonna quote that promise. It's important when you're discouraged, the Bible says take, off, take on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. A lot of people walk around, walk around and they're depressed or they're fearful or they're anxious and what's the antidote for that? It's worshiping God, it's magnifying God, it's putting your focus on Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples, in his last moments, some of his final words are, do not be troubled. I know what's ahead of you. I know it's gonna be hard. I know it's gonna be difficult, but you can trust in me. I will be with you. I'm not gonna leave you, the Bible says, as orphans. He says, I'm gonna come back for you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He says, in this world you will have what? You will have trouble. But look at what he says, the very next verse. But take heart or have courage, for I have overcome the world. Courage isn't courage unless you do it when you're afraid. Courage isn't courage unless you do it in the midst of difficult situations, otherwise it wouldn't be courage. So Jesus is saying, guys, I know that you're gonna walk through some unsettling moments in your own life, but you have got to understand that I have overcome death, hell, and the grave. I am the resurrection and the life, and you can trust in me, amen? We can trust in Jesus. The second statement that he makes in, in John 14 that we're gonna look at is, he basically, he says, I'm the way. Starting in verse four, he says, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't, know, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now Thomas gets a lot of flack because he's known as doubting Thomas. I just think Thomas had a lot of questions. Anybody like to ask questions, like you want clarity, like that's what Thomas was basically doing. He's kind of like that kid in class. The teacher's up there and like she's giving the lecture. Everyone's taking notes and he doesn't understand what's going on. He's lost, he's falling behind. He lifts his hands up and the teacher says yes. He goes, I have no clue what you're talking about. Can you please explain to me what's going on? That's basically what Thomas is doing in this moment. He's saying, you're telling us we can know the way to where you're going. He says, I have no clue what you're talking about. And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I don't know if you've ever gotten lost. It's not fun. 
You could be on a vacation with your family. You could be on a date with your spouse. Everything's great. And it's amazing, just a couple of wrong turns and the whole trip goes sour. You know what I'm talking about? It's like everything just goes down the drain. How many of you remember like where you actually had to know where you were going? You had to write down the directions or you had to use something called a map. I'm not talking about the apps called maps. I'm talking about a big map. And and, and like if you didn't know how to get there, it was pretty easy to get lost. I remember at 18 years old, uh, I was working offshore and I had to drive through New Orleans and I lived about two hours from New Orleans. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out to, to the port to catch a helicopter to go to work. And, and um, so I'm driving through New Orleans. And as an 18 year old kid, I had been there a few times, but it's not like I knew my way around New Orleans. It's not like I grew up around there. And so I ended up with, with, with just some construction issues and stuff. I ended up like in a real bad spot in New Orleans. Like at about three in the morning, there were some sketchy people walking around, and as I got my big map out, and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going, people started approaching my car, and it made me very uncomfortable, if you know what I mean. And so I threw the map down, and I just took off, and I started driving, and eventually I found the highway. And I could either go right and go to work, or go left and go back home. I said, I'm going home, man, I'm stressed out. I just turned around, went all the way back home. When you're lost, it's not fun. And like Jesus is saying, I can tell you the way, but better yet, how about I just show you the way? I will take you to my father's house. I will take you to where you need to go. Trust in me, follow me. Jesus is saying, I'm the way. What about for you, you and I? Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer, I trust God. I've given my life to Jesus, but I still don't know the way to my purpose. I don't know the way to like what God's called me to do. I'm still trying to figure that out. How do I know what I'm called to do? What's my destiny? Well, it's the same for you and I. You follow Jesus. Look, if we just focus on Jesus, if we just worship him, if we just obey what he's asking us to do, if we just spend time in his word, you're in a head-on collision with your destiny. You're in a head-on collision with understanding what you're created to do and who you're created to be. You know, especially this time of year when we come to Easter, I mean, there are going to be thousands of people that go to churches all over this area that don't normally go to church. And, and maybe they go because maybe family brings them, and that's great. Or maybe because it's a cultural pressure and they feel like, you know, well, yeah, I at least need to go Christmas and Easter, so it's my, my, my time to go to church, uh, you know. And so, but a lot of people, when they walk through the doors of a church, they feel condemned. They feel boxed in. They feel like this is a religious system. And it's all about conformity. It's all about like, like what you have to stop doing and what you have to start doing. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever felt that, but there was a point in my life when I felt that. There was a point where I felt like, man, I've got to dot every I. I've got to cross every T. I've got to get it all figured out. And, and, and when you, you don't measure up and, and you fall short, which we all do, you get discouraged. And people are simply lost, just like you and I were. People are lost, and they're looking for their way. They're trying to find peace in their life. They're trying to figure out what their purpose is. And so, you know, the road is, is full of good intentions. But good intentions will not get you to everlasting life. You gotta go through Jesus. And so people think, well, if I just get this job, if I just marry that person, 
if I just accomplish that goal, if I just do this so I can set up my retirement, those things are all great, but those things will not give you everlasting peace and they will certainly not lead you to the Father's house. And in the midst of our world today, Jesus is standing and he's declaring and he's saying, hey guys, it's me. It's not a religious system. It's not about what you have to do and don't do, it's me. It's relationship, it's grace, it's the cross, it's my blood, it's me, I'm the way. I'm what you're lacking in life. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. John 3, 16 is a scripture that many of us know, but verse 17, a lot of people can't quote that one, but we'll read them both together. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. And by the way, eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven one day. The Bible says that eternal life starts today. Eternal life is to know God and to be in a relationship with him. But verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. That's why you and I are are here this morning. That's why we worship, that's why we partake of the word. Why? It's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. It's what it's, it's paid for, it's, it's what it's allowed us to be able to walk in the freedom. The Bible says whom the Son sets free is what? It's free indeed. Thank God for the cross. And in his final moments, Jesus is saying, I'm about to do something that's gonna be very difficult. In fact, if there was a way out of it, I would choose the other way, but there's no way out of it. The only way to redeem mankind back is to go to the cross. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross. The Bible says that he endured it. He wanted to go there. Why? Because he knew it was the only way. And in this, especially in this time of year where we're talking more and more about Easter and about the resurrection of Jesus, people need to know that God is not holding their sins against them. That God is not pointing their finger, his finger, you know, at the things that are broken in their life, but God is a very loving and forgiving and compassionate God. Yes, he's a God of vengeance. Yes, he's a God of justice. Yes, he's a God of righteousness, but God is a loving father who calls all men to come to him. He made the way through death on the cross of Jesus. Number three, the third statement that Jesus says is, you'll do greater works. Verses 12 through 14, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he says, whoever believes in me will do also the works that I do. Even greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, he says, I will do it. Jesus makes a pretty wild and radical statement right here in John 14, 12. He says, not only will you do the works that I do, but you'll do greater works than what I've done. If I was in that conversation and I heard those words, I'm thinking one or two thoughts. One, that's impossible, or two, that's pretty cool. It's probably the first one. How is that even possible? I mean, talk about the miracles that Jesus had performed. Greater works, like what what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. Well, 
The reason it's possible is because Jesus said, I go to the Father. Next week, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. And so I don't want to steal the preacher's thunder that's going to be here next week. Pastor Jim's going to be a phenomenal message. You, you certainly don't want to miss it. But Jesus says, he says, you'll be able to do these greater works because I go to the Father. And then later on, in verse 16, he says, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send you another helper. Now, there's two Greek words for another. One is heteros, which means another of a different kind. And there's alos. And alos means another of the same kind. And Jesus uses the word alos right here. Jesus says, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to send alos. He's going to send a helper of the same kind, someone just like me. Remember, they're in this final moment. He says, I'm about to leave. They had been with Jesus. They thought that he was going to establish an, an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Roman government. Like, like, go to the Father. I mean, like, it's over. Like, like what are we supposed to do? He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It is actually better for you that I go. I'm going to send another helper, someone just like me. He's going to be with you. He's going to live inside of you. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to remind you of truth. He's going to empower you to live the life I called you to live. Well, who is this for, these greater works? Is it just for a select few? Well, some people think that the greater works are just for the disciples that he was talking to in, in John chapter 14. Well, we know that's not true because if you read the book of Acts... You certainly see that it's, it's people other than the disciples as well that are performing greater works by the hand of the Holy Spirit, like people like the Apostle Paul and, and many others. So it can't be that option. Well, option number two is it's, well, the early church leaders. It's, it, it's for them. And a lot of people believe that, but we know that's not true as well. Because we see that long after the early church fathers have died and passed away, these greater works are continuing throughout generations. Miracles are still happening. People are still coming to know Jesus in amazing ways. So that can't be uh, the, the right option. So that leaves us with one logical conclusion, which is option number three. It's whosoever. Jesus said, whosoever believes in me will do greater works because I go to the Father. You know, Jesus never left Israel. And three months after Jesus died and went back to heaven, we see that more people have come to salvation than Jesus' whole earthly ministry combined. Within the first 30 years of the church, millions upon millions and millions of people have come to faith in Jesus and the gospel had been spread almost around the world. Think about what's happening today in Sub-Sahara Africa, where over 20,000 people come to faith in Jesus every single day. Every single day, 20,000 people in Sub-Sahara Africa are finding freedom in Christ, are going from death to life, or from being lost to being found. So, so the other question that we have to ask is, what are these greater works? Is it greater and quality of miracles? Is it, is it, I don't know, he, he walked on water? He fed thousands with a little boy's lunch? 
He, we can't forget, you know, raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, Jesus did some phenomenal stuff. I don't think any one of us can top Jesus' miracles. Now, does Jesus still heal today? Absolutely. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. How many of you believe? I know I believe. He said, in my name, you will lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. In my name, you will cast out demons. In my name, the dead will rise. You don't heal anyone, you can't save anyone, and neither can I. Jesus can. We are his hands and his feet. We just simply operate in what he's called us to do, so it's not greater in quality of miracles, so it must be greater in quantity of miracles. See, the greater works that Jesus is talking about is the expansion of the kingdom of God is the expansion of the church. It's the gospel being preached around the world. It's people coming to know Jesus, to coming to know the Father through him in a multiplied effect. Jesus put all of his chips in one basket, the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the greater works are not just healings, though God will do that. But the greatest miracle that you and I could ever witness or be a part of is the miracle of someone coming to know Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Man, when we come to this time of year, people are really more open than you think. Because remember, people are traveling, traveling the road of good intentions. They're trying to find that peace, man. They're trying to find their purpose. They're trying to figure out what I'm doing in my marriage is not working. My son and my daughter, I, what I'm doing there, I, it's not working, like I need help. And you can read self-help books and, and you can read leadership books and those are all great. But at the end of the day, what people really need is their spirit, their soul going from being dead to being made alive in Jesus. Look, Jesus never promised that we would have an easy life. In fact, he said, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna face difficult stuff. You're gonna have a tough time in certain moments of your life. But you gotta understand that I have overcome the world. You can trust in me, keep your eyes on me. Pay attention to the words that you say because they create worlds. Don't magnify your problem, magnify the Lord. It changes your perspective. Understand that if you're lost, that may be, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Or that may just simply mean for you, I've kind of lost my way. Or I don't know my purpose. I don't know what to do. Whatever the situation is, Jesus says, follow me. I'll take you. I'm the way. Focus on me. I'll get you to where you need to go. You don't have to have it all figured out. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We just focus on him and follow him one step at a time. You don't have to know what you need to do tomorrow. You don't have to understand what next year you know, holds for you. You just need to understand and know who holds your future and his name is Jesus. And if you just follow him one day at a time, one step of obedience at a time, you will get to where you need to go. But then also, you and I have the opportunity, opportunity not just to know Jesus, but to get involved in what he's doing in the earth, the greater works, in your seat, you got this yellow card. 
And it's simply, it's a, it's a kindness card, and Pastor Ron referred to that. And, and this is just simply an easy way for you to, to just pray and say, God, over the next few weeks, would you show me like someone that I can bless? And maybe that's like you're out and, and you're with your spouse or you're out at lunch or, and you're like, wanna write you know, a, a encouraging note, leave a generous tip and, and give this to your waiter or waitress. It could be that Starbucks barista that, that you see all the time and you just wanna you know, bless him and say, hey, I'd love to see you at Milestone. Or maybe you take advantage at Easter Central, there's, there's those cards and you can give it to someone and say, man, we have many services. We'd love to have you and your family come and join us for Easter. It may simply be as taking one of those yard signs and just putting that in your yard and people driving around because people are looking and people are, are, are longing for family. People are longing for a place to belong. They're, they're longing for answers. I know this, when Jesus says, ask anything in my name, I'll do it. A lot of people think that, that like, that means I can just ask whatever I want and all of a sudden I've just tagged Jesus' name on the end of it and then he'll do it. It's like, 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 like Jesus is some genie in a, in a bottle or something like that and we just kind of make a wish and poof, it comes true. Let me just clarify, when Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I will do it, what he's saying is if, when you ask in my name, that means according to my purpose, according to my will, according to my plan, according to what I'm all about, you better believe I will answer that prayer. And I don't know of any other prayer that he would wanna answer than for someone to come to know him. So maybe you have a neighbor, maybe there's a coworker, maybe there's a family member, maybe there's a friend, maybe there's someone that you see on a regular basis that you're like, I'm praying for them this Easter. And whether they come to Milestone or go to somewhere, somewhere else, I'm believing that God's gonna touch them. Let me, let me promise you, he'll answer those prayers because he's all about that. I wanna pray this morning. And I just wanna pray for us in this season as we get ready for you know, Easter weekend that, that God would give us a, a heightened awareness of all, not only our need for him, but other people around us, their need for him as well. And that God would give us the courage and the boldness just to step out and and just to maybe you know, take that step and invite someone, or, or maybe it's just simply the way you live your life. Someone told me a long time ago, your life may be the only Bible someone ever reads, and I think that's true. People watch, and it's not to you know, make sure every I's dotted and T's crossed and I have it all together, but it's just to go, am I reflecting God's goodness in the earth around me? Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you, Lord, that we can look in these final moments, your final sayings, your final words to the disciples. You knew, Lord, tumultuous, Lord, waters were ahead for them, God. You knew that they were gonna be, Father Lord, faced with some challenges. You saw them stressed and anxious, but God, your words to them were, don't be troubled, trust in me, focus on me. God, you declared, you said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, God, that they would understand that you love them so much that you endured the cross for them. And God, for those of us who know you, Lord, but there's still things that we're trying to figure out. There's still, you know, we have unclear um, directions or, or we don't know where to go or how to turn, Lord, or where to turn, Lord, that if we just focus on you and follow you, we'll get to where we need to be. And God, lastly, I just pray for all of us, God, during these next few weeks that 
Lord, we would be a part of the greatest journey that we could ever be a part of. It's not just knowing you and having a relationship with you, but it's being used as an instrument, being used as, as your vessel, Lord, to, to lead someone else to you. And Lord, I pray that, that, Lord, you would just give us a heightened sense of awareness to those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a hand this morning for his word. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 